Welcome to Said on Sunday, a podcast by Kelliville Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Set on Sunday. Uh, my name is James, and today we have Dave. Welcome, Dave. G'day, James. Hey, mate. And Nathan. Hello. Good to see you, James. It's great to have you, mate. Uh, Beck's not joining us today. She's in the midst of moving. Mm. Speak for her um, and her family. So uh, she's having the week off, and you have us. So enjoy. Amazing. Now, I, I thought about today because normally I'm the one that hosts when Beck's away, except I'm the one that preached. And yes. so I pitched this idea that we could do a bit of talkback radio and you can be my ring-ins for when I need comments. <laughs> and so I'll ask myself the questions, but uh, I think that got vetoed by Dave. So, <laughs> you know, be the next, uh, I don't know, who, what's, who's, who's a famous talkback radio presenter? John Laws. John Laws. John Laws. The golden microphone. The golden microphone. Yep. Is he still doing it? I have no idea. I don't know. You I, know, he, fun fact... Um, when I used to go to sleep as a kid, I used to I would be quite scared. And so I used to go to sleep to 2UE. Really? Yeah, and I would fall asleep to talk back radio every night. <laughs> and I remember the <laughs> did, 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 which would always be on the hour for the, yeah, for the on new the hour, That's right. That's, that's right. it, my, my radio next to me. So there's a fun fact about James. It's all right. I don't need a nightlight or anything. My wife is there to protect me. When I sleep. <laughs> but there's a fun fact. I would listen that's to good. 2UE talk back to go to bed when I was younger. <laughs> anyway, so, Sunday. Sunday. Well, what do we what do we what do we talk about on Sunday, James? Uh, challenging bit of scripture. Uh, psalm one thirty seven was what we looked at, and Psalm one thirty seven is what's known as a psalm of judgment, or for those that have done a little bit of study, uh, the word imprecatory psalm, uh, calling about God's judgment uh, upon. Uh, the nations that oppress Israel. Um, and so we looked at this particular piece of scripture and looked at the context of what was going on at that time uh, because it kind of gave us a really, it, it really set the scene for the context of why it was written because verse 9 is quite a horrendous verse um, where it speaks of dashing infants and not just dashing them but happy is the one who dashes them. And so you read that and you go, What? Like how could something like that find itself in God's word? And so I helped us understand the context of what was going on, that Israel was in exile um, around 597 BC was when it took place, uh, where Babylon came in and, and pretty much decimated the city and took people back to Babylon. And this psalm was written, it's argued whether it was written during or after, but essentially it's a reflection on the fact that Israel forgot God and God said that if you forget me, I will bring the nations upon you and you will be destroyed. And so it's actually God bringing about his righteous judgment upon his people and yet it finishes with God's people or the psalmist in this context asking God to bring about judgment against Babylon because of what they did to them. And so the main notion of it was what do we do with it and I helped us unpack that this psalm does um, call for us to pray for God's righteous judgment to come about. Uh, but we're not to use it as some sort of weaponizing of God or anything like that, saying, do this, do that. But actually the call is to to ask God to bring about his righteous judgment, which we will all experience in the whenever Jesus returns in that final day. And mm. so that's kind of where we flowed. And so that was that was Sunday. Tricky mm. piece of scripture. Mm. Yeah, I think uh Verse 8 and particularly verse 9, mm. I, I think are some of the toughest pieces of Scripture going around uh, to try and explain. Um, yeah, so 
Good on you for giving it a go, mate. Thanks, mate. Did a did a really good job of, right. um, of, uh, of working it through. It's interesting. I think it's Jesus that makes those verses complicated because I think Old Testament, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, dashed yeah. infant for dashed infant. And like it's, yeah, it's Jesus that comes in and says, turn the other cheek. Yeah. And uh, so the, the Christian ethic kind of goes, whoa. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not that uh, one for one justice anymore. It's that yeah. one for... Zero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, I mean, that's that's yeah. our, our first question. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, our first oh, caller. Well our first done, caller. Nathan. It was me. In. I texted it in. Yeah. <laughs> His name's Nathan Brewer. Thanks to Kellyville. So, the question is: How do we understand the last part of one thirty-seven in light of God's uh, the Lord's command? Well, I assume that means Jesus' command uh, to love your enemy uh, yeah. as we practice our lives. Yeah, so, absolutely. How do how do those Go hand in hand. Yeah, I've raised the tension. Yeah, oh, I, you, want you, you I want you to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big, big. Here we go. Uh, well, yeah, no, it's 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 a really wonderful question to ask because you read something like Psalm one thirty seven and you go, well, it looks like we're meant to be calling for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, uh, which was consistent uh, in I think it's like Exodus. 21 after the Ten Commandments that Moses says that um, to God's people and sort of and the notion I think um, in that is that was appropriate for that time um, you know because sometimes I'm trying to think of the historical context but people would be punished for significantly more than what they actually did and so it was to try and make sure that there wasn't in a discorrelation between what was committed and what was the expected punishment for that and so that's kind of the sort of the context behind the eye for an eye for a tooth for a tooth. But when we think about now in the in, with Jesus and what he calls us to do, um, it's hard to love your enemy, really, really hard. Uh, and for us as Christians today, that is the call for us. We are to love our enemies. We are to turn the other cheek. Um, doesn't mean we're meant to be a pushover um, and the notion of like always, you know, never pushing back against injustice and things happening in the world. Um, but we are to love our enemies first and foremost. And so when it, you think about the psalm, the psalm is calling upon God's righteous judgment. Um, and so it's not we should be calling upon God to, you know, as I sort of said in the intro, like weaponizing him or saying, you know, come and smash X and X for whatever they're doing, but rather, you know, come Lord Jesus, come your kingdom come. Father, would you send your son to return to bring about that righteous judgment that we're all going to uh, receive um, at the, on those last days. And there'll be us that trust in Jesus' saving work and he's paid for that. And so um, our sins are forgiven and so we won't face that. But then there will be those that uh, don't. And that was that Philippians 3 text as well. So, um, yeah, that would be my answer to that. Uphold Jesus' teaching. Mm. Yeah. Nath. Totally. Yeah, and I think in terms of that kind of dangerous stuff, like totally legitimate to try and escape trouble. Mm. Even like we don't, just, like you said, we don't just have to sit there and take it. Like if you're getting persecuted, you are allowed to free, uh, flee, yep. uh, and then and perfectly legitimate to pursue justice as well. Mm. Loving someone in in some ways would be bringing them to justice and getting them to realise the horrors of what they've done. Um, violence again, there's yeah through the proper channels, of course, yeah. not uh, not taking it into your own hands. But yeah, I think feel feel free to flee and um, and pursue the proper means to to get justice. All the while, yeah, not. Uh, not uh, being violent or, or hate-filled and, and, yeah, so not necessarily loving doesn't just mean letting the person do whatever they want to whoever they want. Sometimes stepping in and stopping them is yeah. actually loving to both them and to the people around them. Yeah. And, and Jesus' words, like, when we looked in the Sermon on the Mount um, mm. uh, this year uh, when he says, you've heard it said eye for eye for tooth for tooth, but but I tell you, you know, love, love your enemies. Uh, 
what he's doing in there is, again, as, as James pointed out, um, highlighting the uh, injustices that were happening around, you know, the application of eye for eye and tooth for tooth um, and uh, the abuses of it that were happening um, around those uh, around those times, and Jesus wants to change, you know, uh, the way in which we think, uh, and uh, that's that's important for us because um, as as we go f- further forward into more of these questions, Jesus does change a lot, mm. uh, and you know, the fact that He's come means He will return again, mm. uh, and then wrongs will be righted. Uh, and we need to remember that when we have those feelings of retribution that come up, um, to know that God will put things in their right place. Uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Uh, and we need to keep remembering that. Uh, even this psalmist, like it's good to put that in the context of going, look, you know, it's God who's ultimately going to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, next, right. next caller. Next caller. <laughs> next caller. <laughs> We're <laughs> really riding on this hour. <laughs> <laughs> who, who we got on the next line? Uh, no, um, the next question is, does this verse shed light on the difficult question, do children go to hell? Good question. I don't know if it sheds light on it, um, but I think the bigger question is, do children go to hell is what's being asked. Um, and that's a very challenging question. Um, I think, you know, Nathan and I were briefly talking about it before. And for me, the things that we do know is that from Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And later on, for the wages of sin is death. Like that is just the blanket. That is what we know about sin and all that has affected humanity and that we are all sinful. The notion of original sin uh, since Adam, like we, by nature, we are sinful. Um, And so understanding that as the sort of the base, but also understanding who God is and his love and mercy um, and God, God will know the hearts of those people. Um, especially in the context of children. And so for us, it's a, it's not something that we could go, yes, they will or no, they won't, because we're not to be the one that makes that judgment, but rather it is God. And so I think the comfort in that is that we rest on who we know who God is and his love for the world and his love for humanity. And I think Nathan was saying the same question would come up for those that um, cognitively can't respond to God because they just, they're not, they're not able to. Would God send that person to hell because they never had the, the capacity to ever actually respond um, outwardly to confessing Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And so same with an infant, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, um, they may not have the ability to do that. And I think we need to rely on who we know of who God is and his love for us and his love for his people and all humanity that we would hope that, yeah, we can rest in knowing of who God is and he would make that call upon um, those that are affected. So, now if you can yeah. unpack no, that yeah, further. It would be really nice if the Bible just laid it out yeah. and said, you know, 100%. any children under seven bear no responsibility for their sin. Yeah. And anyone above seven, they don't. They yeah. bear. Seven to 11, you bear partial responsibility. <laughs> and then 11 plus, it's all on you. Um, yeah, that's right. It would be nice if it laid out that. Um, yeah, I remember uh, being told, like, the most comforting thing we know, we don't have a 100% answer where they go, but mm. we, we do have kind of 100% clarity on, on the hands that they fall into. And that's, yeah, yeah the most loving, just, fair um, God. So the best, they fall into the best possible hands they could. Who, yeah. yeah. And God is a very uh, reasonable 
a very, uh, very reasonable God. So I think, um, yeah, they're going to get the best treatment possible. And so they're falling into the best possible hands of the God who loves our kids more than we do. Uh, and so that's good. And we do see in the Gospels that um, Jesus esteems children higher than the culture esteems children. So he has a lot of time for them. It's, you know, it's him that says, let the children come to me. It's him that says, you need to receive the kingdom uh, like a child, like that. Yeah, Jesus... Um, uh, and all through Scripture, we see that God esteems children and values them deeply. So I think they're going to get treated very fairly and very well in the hands uh, when they fall into to God's hands. Yeah, and, and God's not going to make a mistake. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think it's these moments where uh, we wrestle with a very emotionally, um, you know, uh, intense subject uh, around children and their eternal destiny, mm. and we. Um, uh, I'm I'm just thankful I'm not God. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it sort of falls on Him and who He is, and I think that's you know where 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 both you guys are going with it. Mm. Uh, you go well, rest on God, and you know He He will He will put them in the right place. And I don't think we want to say wholeheartedly that no children go. Uh, we don't want to say they all like. I think mm. we just want to say um, we don't know. Yep. But we know who God is mm. and he will not make a mistake mm. uh, when it comes to this. Um, um, but it does, again, anytime you think you, we talk about uh, the eternal realities uh, of heaven and hell, it, it for me, the, the other place it sort of goes is the um, uh, uh, the push for telling people mm. yeah. um, and helping people understand. Um, and, you know, it's, it's why... Our kids' ministry is not just babysitting. We want our kids to understand the gospel, to come to a, a, a grasp of the knowledge of what it means to actually, you know, love Jesus for themselves. Um, yeah. And uh, we, we just want to keep, you know, so that's a really important thing to do um, from as soon as they can comprehend basic concepts um, about who God is. So it's a good, good thing to sort of push in that direction uh, as well. Yeah. Okay, next question. I'll ask it. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you want me to answer it. 100%. <laughs> How can we make sense of God's nation Israel causing calamity and destruction and genocide in Gaza? The world is watching and condemning Israel for their response and I can't help but think Israel is acting the way that they have done for centuries. Do they believe that this is a victory over another nation in the same way God delivered them from other nations as documented in the Bible? Yeah, look, this, uh, you know, and we, we've got a, a, a question that we also got last week uh, around the whole situation in Gaza, uh, Israel, Palestine. Um, I, I, I do want to give a response, um, but before I give a response, uh, I just want to preface uh, by saying the response I want to give is a theological one. I don't want to make a political statement. And it, I think it's one of the reasons I think we've wrestled to sort of go, what do we say? Um, outside of, you know, uh, any place where there is injustice uh, that comes up, even in the context of, you know, what feels like just retribution from one country to another, right? Uh, there are injustices uh, that will, you know, that will come and that's, uh, that is not on. <laughs> like we, we want to condemn those and say that's not good, that's not right. Um, and innocent people um, losing lives on both sides of any war uh, is is um, you know a, is a disaster. 
uh, and we, we want a plea and, you know, uh, you know, want God to return or, you know, to intervene because he is the sovereign one who can put an end to these things mm. uh, is what we believe. But I, I do want to dive in just a little bit into the weeds um, mm. theologically. Um, uh, to really sort of help us understand the the place that Israel has in the scriptures, uh, the place of Jerusalem, uh, and how it all changes radically when Jesus comes. Uh, so feel free to jump in anytime you feel like you want to sure. add in anything here. Um, so we, we're going to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 12 uh, is sort of where I want us to go to start with. Um, and God uh, grabs uh, Abraham uh, and he has three big promises, uh, land, offspring, and blessing. Uh, lob is the easy way to remember it. I'm sure there's other uh, acronyms people use, but I, I always go for the lob one. Uh, and it's the land one that I really want us to sort of drill down through, um, you know, because God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land to live in. Um, and then he takes him on the journey across the land and said, all oh, this is going to be yours. Uh, and, you know, the center of the land um, is going to be Jerusalem. Uh, and so as they go through, you know, you, you unpack the scriptures, uh, you know, you, you get in the Exodus, they're out of the land, they journey towards the land, they get in the land, uh, Moses gets left behind and in they go and occupy it uh, and remove the other nations that are in there. Uh, and again, there, there is war that seems to happen in there. Um, and, and there's almost an aside to talk about what that means from a New Testament point of view, of what it looks like to put to death uh, certain things. Um, but we can come back to that. Um, so, and then they they end up in the land, uh, and Jerusalem becomes a significant point, uh, as does Mount Zion, uh, in terms of what all that looks like. Um, and Jerusalem's a place where you know the, the temple is built, uh, and and people come, and there's there's you know a significant part, and the temple is where uh, God's presence uh, lives and dwells, uh, and so it has a significant um, uh, uh, moment. Uh, and when you get to a psalm like Psalm 137, uh, and it talks about remembering Zion, uh, and it talks about uh, not forgetting Jerusalem, uh, it's important to sort of go, that's in that context, they'd been moved away from the very promises of God. Uh, and, you know, that that's for their minds, it's like, wow, this is super significant. Uh, it, it, and you sort of think, when it comes to passage like this, does it apply directly to what's going on? You know, like, is it really important that, you know, as Christians, we not forget Jerusalem uh, and we fight as hard as we can in order to reclaim it in some way because the land itself is significant? Um, uh, I want to go to John chapter 4 because uh, I think this is the one of the key texts uh, that sort of push back against you know, just a very literal reading of Psalm 137. Um, because uh, in John chapter 4, uh, he comes across the woman at the well, uh, famous little story there. And uh, the um, verse 19, uh, you know, the woman says, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's had a correct understanding. Jerusalem's the center, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus' response, I think, is really uh, important. He said, a woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and the worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I think what Jesus does at this point is uh, knock Jerusalem, the physical place of Israel, uh, out of the particular, here's a piece of land. Um, because God's presence and where he dwells has changed mm. uh, because it's found in Jesus now. And he's like, it's not about being in the physical locale of Jerusalem. It's about worshipping God in spirit and truth. Uh, and that fundamentally changes then uh, because the land uh, for us, what does that look like? Well, the land is it's in Jesus. It's his you know, um, presence. So it's us being connected to Jesus, that sort of in Christ language, that union with Christ is where we find the expression, the New Testament expression of that. And it's why when we got to uh, helpfully on Sunday, the passage you pointed out, James, in Revelation 21, it's it's why heaven is described as the new Jerusalem. Um, and it's not, um, so it's not when like when Jesus returns, he's going to return to Jerusalem. Um, I had this conversation with a friend the other week. Uh, he's like, do you think you know, Israel's really significant in terms of the return of Jesus? I don't think that's the case. And I think passages like John 4 and Revelation 21 point to the fact that that physical place no longer has that spiritual significance that it did in the Old Testament. Uh, and so um, I think um, the physical place of Israel uh, has been claimed to be a holy place from Christians, uh, Jews, uh, and um, and Muslims uh, and all fighting over it, but I think from a Christian point of view, uh, it's, it doesn't hold that spiritual significance anymore theologically. That's enough for a rant for me. Um, Nath, James, do you want to? Yeah, I just think there's so many strands of theology and politics that makes it tricky. Like, yeah, who is Israel? When I sort of read the New Testament, I thought the church. I think the church is Israel. You know, and it's mm-hmm. one anyway. And so Paul says, you know, not all Israel is Israel because it's the believers who are it's the believers who are Israel. Uh and then one Peter two nine as well is, you know, where it's the believers who are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, which is Israel language. Um yeah. So there's another yeah. strand of theology as well, who who even is Israel from a New Testament New Testament perspective because might kind of read it and go, I'm Israel and you are James Israel and you're Israel. So yeah. uh, and then the significance of Jerusalem, but then yeah, and then the political, but then to the Jews and to um to Muslims as well, like it's a very, yeah. <laughs> it's still, it's got much more significance, I think, than to the Christians. So, yeah, so there's strands of theology and politics and land and, and both nations can point to atrocities that have committed against them and, and so you can see why everyone is, is wound up and, and very, it's, yeah. it's emotional, like it's serious, it's awful. Yeah, so um, it's a very complex issue. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I had the same response with 1 Peter uh, 2 verse 9. I think, you know, it's been written to the Gentiles and yet it says, you know, you're a chosen people, royal priesthood, God's um, special possession. And so I think that notion has changed now. Um, But, yeah, uh, what we're we're seeing is devastating and um, we need to continue to pray for God to bring about peace in that area. Um, And that's what we can do as Christians on the other side of the world is to pray, pray Mm. for peace. And and there is, you know, the... The last part of this is: Do they believe that there is a this is a victory 
uh, over another nation the same way God delivered them from other nations as documented in the Bible. Um, there's, there's a truth in there um, that, yes, when they went to occupy the land, um, there, there was them, you know, moving other people who were in the land out uh, to say this is God's land, this is where God's people are going to dwell. Um, uh, and there was a concept in the Old Testament of, you know, putting to death, death those things, right? Mm. Um, again, you need to be careful how you read the Scriptures because what does that translate to moving forward in the New Testament? If the land is no longer the physical locale, if the land is, you know, um, uh, it is about Jesus and being in him, uh, we s- you then actually see the put-to-death language in Colossians. You know, put to death all these particular things. If you want to match up what's going on in terms of Old Testament uh, and Israel moving in and saying, you know, God saying put to death these people as we saw in 1 Samuel, I think the correlation that Jesus then fundamentally and radically changes about who we are and the sins uh, that, you know, seem to trail behind us. You know, God says put those things to death. They don't belong uh, in you know your union with Christ, uh, and so again, like I don't, I don't really want to make a political comment. I just want to theologically sort of try and unpack uh, some of those differences uh, and help us to sort of go reading the Old Testament and taking it through to the New. Uh, it's really important how we think about what that looks like. Um, because straightforward literal readings can sometimes leave us in all sorts of funny places. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys want to jump in on any of that? I that's helpful. I don't like. Yeah, I think we've we've, we've all yeah. the three of us been very careful not to feel like we want to make a political comment yeah. um, outside the the ones of just the atrocities that have been committed, and to say that that's not on on either mm-hmm. side. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last question. Uh, our last caller of the day. <laughs> That's it. Um, and they say it's a loaded one. No, I think that might have been the other one. Oh, that was the other Sorry. one. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's not loaded. Um, <laughs> we can make it loaded. It's <laughs> super easy, apparently. <laughs> Maybe or, not. Or in the words of Nathan, I was just too easy. Too, yeah, too, too easy. easy. <laughs> um, how do we reconcile God's justice with all the things he allowed to happen or even made happen like Exodus? Off you go, Nathan. Me, um, how do we look in terms of God's people killing people? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a tricky question. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the again, it's probably remembering the ugliness of sin and mm. sin. The wages of sin is death, and so when God does wipe out people, it's um, it's sad and it's awful. But yeah, we we all every single individual. Earns death, and every single nation has earned death, and we know from Scripture uh, that even the people that God did wipe out, He was extraordinarily patient with. And yep. so, um, the the Exodus with e- Egypt, I mean, that's pretty easy, obvious evil, oppressive nation there. That again, God gave lots of chances to turn around, and still even offered forgiveness. Like the last plague, it didn't have to hurt the Egyptians if they followed the command to to slaughter. Mm. A lamb, uh, and then but the nations that get wiped out in Joshua and Judges, you know, um, Abraham talked about them. He said, you know, their sin is not complete yet and their sin is not full. And so uh, and that's a delay of 400 years before anything happens to them. So God is 
even the stuff that he allows to happen and, and commands to happen, uh, it's fair because all sin earns death. Um, God is amazingly forbearing and patient, and even with his own people who he sometimes exiles and... Um, yeah, he's very forbearing and very patient with them, but a time comes and there's always a point. I was reading on a, in a book yesterday, like justice has to be served at some point. God, God can't just be forbearing. Like mm. if he's just forbearing forever, then he's actually not just. Yep. So there comes a point where you know, the forbearance needs to end and the judgment needs to start. And I think in those Old Testament narratives, that's, that happens to both Israel and uh, the other nations. So he's not playing favorites. Um, he certainly lets Israel suffer uh, affliction as well. So I think he, he treats all nations fairly and he's very forbearing and patient before he, he doles out his judgment. Yeah, we talk about um, you know when we confess sins and there's the... Uh, the assurance that comes after that God is slow to anger, mm. um, you know, abounding in love. Uh, he is all those things, um, but yet he, like you said, he will not let things go on endlessly. Right. Uh, you know, he will act uh, and he will bring justice and he will bring judgment. Um, one of those judgments he brought was Babylon up, up, you yeah. know, upon his people. Mm. Like that, you know, what Babylon did to Israel was God's intended judgment mm, yeah. and again like that's a heavy thing to think through right mm. like that's god's job like it's like it's brutal mm. um and, and and i think part of it is why you don't want to be trifle you know with god and who he is like um fear god um you know that's that hebrews when we did hebrews 12 and mm. uh, god isn't is a consuming fire um and we, we need to wrestle with both parts of his character, the one that we like and go, man, it gets God slow to anger. Great, he forgives. God, God's will also, with salvation, comes judgment. Mm. You know, those, you know, they just cycle around mm. in uh, throughout the whole Old Testament and New Testament. When salvation comes, judgment comes with it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of our questions. That is it for today's episode. Some tough ones in there. Great job, team. Thank you for sending them through, everybody. Mm. Uh, and so we're actually taking a break from Psalms this Sunday. Uh, okay. Dave, what's going on? So we've got Baptism Sunday this Ooh. Sunday. Our uh, so bath is coming. <laughs> we, we, we have a, a, a wonderful baptism tank that's uh, been uh, built specifically for us. Yep. Uh, so that, that'll be some fun. So where all the baptisms are happening at our 10.30 service. Um, but we'll highlight some of the uh, stories uh, across our, all our services on Sunday. Uh, so I'm preaching from Ephesians chapter 2, verses mm-hmm. 1 to 10. Uh, it's a great opportunity if you've got someone who you think would be great to introduce them to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2 is a purple passage mm-hmm. in trying to understand the very basics of the gospel, who we are uh, as, as humans naturally dead in our trespasses and sin, um, you know, but God's made us alive in Christ uh, and it's by grace and it's by faith. It's just the very basics of the gospel. Yeah. So hopefully I get it right. Mm. I'm sure you will, brother. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Well, that'll be great. We'll be keen to have you join us on Sunday. And if you're keen for a bit of community before or after services, uh, we have our pre-service hangs at 9.30 uh, out the back of the church with lawn games and coffee before our 10.30 service. Or if you've come to 8.30, uh, come to that afterwards. We'd love to have you there. And we're also going to have night church dinner, um, burger bar. So if you like burgers, come to night church. Um, if you like community... 
come to night church <laughs> <laughs> or just come to church yeah. in general because yeah. uh, we're, we're, we're very blessed here at Kellyville to have a great community of Christians uh, who are keen to, to love one another and who love the Lord. Yeah. And so that brings us to the end of Set on Sunday for today and we will hopefully see you this coming Sunday. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.